Welcome to Game of Stones, everybody. I am Sean Graham. Scott alongside, as always. Hello, Scott. Sean, uh, I was telling you before we got started that uh, I've been watching this 90 Day Fiance. (laughs) So good. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people out there uh, listen to or watch it. Holy cow. It's it's just great. It it does make me feel like a little better about my life uh, (laughs) compared to these (laughs) other train wrecks, but it's fun TV. And uh, that's what I'm going to be doing later on tonight, watching more. Scott, do do any of the couples have a chance, a long-term chance in your opinion? Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The, the yeah. one that's on right now that's airing is before the 90 days. So it's right. like uh, the very beginnings of these uh, relationships. And I don't know, like they, this, <laughs> the, they don't seem well suited to each other, but the heart wants what it wants. Love yeah. finds a way. And uh there you go. Oh, what a beautiful sentiment, Scott. You're such a robot. Yeah, I guess ap- apropos of nothing, uh, I just thought I'd bring that in for the, the start of the show today. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I guess hey, there's also not much else to do here in Ontario, particularly <laughs> here in uh, Ottawa and, and certainly between here and Toronto. Uh, a lot of the things are shut down uh, as the provincial lockdown continues here in Ontario. And we had couple feet of snow scott on monday in the midst of the snowstorm i i way overdue but i committed to write a piece about a small memorial here in ottawa for uh, my friend's project and i had written it again way overdue but i did it but i realized (laughs) that i hadn't gone and got measurements of it when i took photos of it in the summer so i thought oh i should go get measurements to make the article a little more specific And I walked over on Monday, not thinking to myself that, of course, this monument wouldn't have been plowed out like or shoveled out. Why would it be? So Mm -hmm. here I am, some weirdo, 5.30 Monday night in the dark (laughs) in a driving snowstorm, digging out with my hands and feet a five foot tall monument (laughs) at the corner of Gladstone and Bay Street here in Ottawa and then taking out my tape measure and having some guy who was shuffling his driveway give me a real hard side eye because this made no sense (laughs) at all yeah wow uh you couldn't have picked a better day right Sean just uh go out for that experience yeah well I wrote the thing on Sunday and I was like oh I really I, I like I really wanted to get it off and it bummed me out on Sunday when it's like, Ooh, 11 o'clock Sunday night. It's like, Oh, I, sh- I really should get the measurements on it. And I, yeah. it, I was like, I got to do it Monday <laughs> and <laughs> the hell with the snow. I am going and getting these uh, measurements on Monday, 50 foot or 50 inches tall. Okay. And, uh, that's a lot taller than the snow was. So that's good. Yeah. I only had to dig out like the bottom half of it. Oh, okay. It fine. Okay. It was fine. Well, yeah, uh, yeah Sean, my car is still in the driveway. I, uh, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. They're, yeah. they're supposed to come and plow the driveway, but I don't know how they're going to because I can't get out. So it, it was so much snow. It's kind of crazy. Uh, really remarkable. Yeah. And uh, we we're glad. To, or I was glad to hear. I'm sure, Sky, speak for you that uh, no real serious injuries that, that I've heard about. Uh, there was a story here in the city of an, uh, an older gentleman who had slipped and fallen, but an eight-year-old kid who was home from school saw him 
and uh, essentially rescued them. Uh, so good stories like that that you hear, but uh, hopefully everyone's doing well here in central Canada uh, dealing with those storms. So uh, there you have it. Scott, we are exactly two weeks away from the start of the curling competition at the Olympic Games in Beijing. The mixed doubles competition kicks off on February the 2nd, which is Wednesday night in Beijing. It'll be, of course, Wednesday morning here for us in North America. The opening ceremony kicks off on the 3rd on Friday. So we'll get two days or a day and a bit of curling prior to the opening ceremony. Scott, as we are fast approaching the Olympic Games, we wanted to dive into it and answer some pressing questions that at least I have about the curling this year in Beijing. That's right, Sean. Ten questions to get us all primed and thinking about the curling competition at the whatever number Olympiad it is. Yes. Uh, so we have ten questions here. We're going to run through them. These are big questions, some big issues that are at play coming up here at the Olympic Games. So let's uh, delve right in, Scott, with I think the question that nobody really will know the answer to, but I want to get your sense of it. And that is, will everybody actually be able to play who has qualified for these games? There was a story last night on the CBC that the Chinese government is imposing a stricter set of testing on the athletes than at least in, in Canada, that the Canadian government has for for approval to get on planes and stuff. So there's some concern that if you've had COVID, that the, the remnants in your system might trigger a positive on these Chinese tests. The Chinese government has said that that's not true, but it's the Chinese government, so who knows uh, whether or not that's an accurate statement. But Scott, what do you think the odds are that of the, what, 100 individuals who are qualified to play the main players not the not the fifths the main hundred individuals who have qualified what are the odds that all of them are able to play that's probably pretty low that all of them will for sure be able to play that report that you mentioned that we saw last night on uh, the national it said that that kind of test that uh, the chinese officials are using for the olympics is very likely to pick up if somebody had been previously infected uh, mm -hmm. with COVID. And even if they weren't contagious now, uh, they, they would still pick that up on the sensitivity of PCR that uh, they're going to be using. So even if you're vaccinated, you still could get COVID as we've seen uh, here in Ontario the last uh, month or so. So, you know, if you still have that in your body and this PCR picks it up, I don't know if it's going to have, you're going to have to test negative uh, two times in a row after that, what's what it's going to be. But I think it's very likely that at least one player will get flagged for that. Yeah, I, I agree that I think someone will get dinged at some point along the way. Hopefully we don't see an outbreak within curling or within a team. But if it happens to a mixed doubles player, you don't have extra players in mixed doubles. So it, it would really be unfortunate to see a team have to withdraw from the mixed doubles competition. Mark Kennedy last week on Inside Curling talked about how if there is a positive test on the men's team, then John Morris can step in if necessary as almost a sixth player if, if that test happens early enough. Same thing on the women's mm -hmm. side. Rachel Holman could step in and play. And I, I, don't, I, I don't want any of the players to get COVID, but the idea of Jennifer Jones yelling at second Rachel Holman to sweep <laughs> 
uh, is a delightful visual uh, to, to think about that happening. Uh, but of yes. course, we don't want that to actually happen. It's more fun to talk about than to actually see it. But that that is a factor yeah. that could be, you know, it, it, there's a little more wiggle room there on the men's and women's play than there is in the mixed doubles. Uh, but certainly you would expect that somebody is going to trigger a positive test, not out of any fault of their own, just that's the world that we currently live in. We saw at the world qualification event, I believe it's the Czech Republic uh, women's team had to withdraw from that event uh, with three positive tests. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's just how it's going to be. And uh, we hope that's not the case, but it, it's certainly likely that out of those hundred, someone will not be able to play. Yeah, for sure. And and you mentioned that would be a pretty fun uh, situation to see <laughs> Rachel and Jen on the same team together. But uh, I, I do believe the fifths from the men's and women's team are going over early and are able to step in in the case of a positive test okay. pre-event from either the the men's the man or woman on the mixed doubles team. So at least in the oh, that's Canadian good. context, they've planned ahead for that. Right. So you have then Mark and Lisa Weagle would be going. That's that right. Case. Those are two good players too. You know, I mean, if, if either Rachel or John test positive and they're there and they can play, they, they're good players. Nothing wrong with either of those. For sure. All right, Scott. Uh, question, big question number two. How will the ice conditions be at the ice cube this is the facility where they're going to be doing the curling it is right across the street not even the street right across like a, a pedestrian walkway area from the olympic stadium i had the opportunity when i was in beijing back in 2016 to visit the olympic park uh, it is beautiful and going to the olympic stadium so it's just a short walk right across a magnificent uh, facility but it was also a pool a couple of years ago. So will that impact the conditions? We have seen when the world championship was in Beijing, the ice conditions weren't the greatest. Now, granted, that was further in the spring where it was a little warmer in Beijing. They had a, a heat wave during that event. Uh, looking at the forecast right now, it's around freezing in Beijing. So with, with a little above freezing for the highs, Beijing is a city that that can have some humidity as well. So, you know, how will the ice conditions work? What have they done to this building? Will it be world class conditions? And that's something that uh, it'll be interesting to see how the building reacts to having its this this major event. Yeah, it, it'll be interesting for the building for sure. The we saw this in uh, Vancouver. Uh, you know, that's a pretty humid climate, especially in. January, February, a lot of rain. Temperature is usually around six, six to eight, five degrees or around there. So a little bit colder in Beijing. It's more continental than uh, than Vancouver, climate-wise. It is on the water, but uh, the way that the currents work and and the way air moves, uh, it's a little more continental. So I, I don't think there's going to be any problem here. We saw the ice conditions in Vancouver were great. The ice techs that are going to make that or ha who have gone to make it, they know what they're doing. Uh, they had pretty good ice at the World Cup events that they had. And, you know, one of those was in August and, yeah. in Shanghai, where it was 35 degrees. I checked on the Chinese weather, weather there, Sean, and... I wasn't aware, but it came up in Fahrenheit first. I was like, holy oh. cow, 40 degrees. Look <laughs> out. 
but uh, no, that was Fahrenheit. So yeah. Climate change is really now. hitting China. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it should, it, it should be good. I think uh, repurposing the venue uh, won't be that big a deal. Uh, China is very familiar with uh, how to pull off big infrastructure projects and doing it in the right amount of time and, and well enough. So I, I wouldn't be worried about that. Yeah. And from all accounts, the conditions at the World Wheelchair Curling Championship back in the fall, which was in this building, were, were pretty mm-hmm. good. Now, that event doesn't put the same pressure on the ice and that there's no sweeping. So hog to hog, you don't have the same damage to the ice that is done uh, through sweeping. So, you, you know, this just leads to question, will, will the ice be able to hold up for 10 ends of sweeping? Those those games are also eight ends. So, mm-hmm. you know, you, th- that's a question, uh, but it'll be interesting to see how the conditions are there in the ice cube, uh, really a premier spot uh, when you're, when you're looking at that Olympic park. So uh, it should be a lot of fun for the players to be there. Yeah. And a venue that'll be in use uh, for even more than the 16 days of the Olympics. So that's right. Every day plus two. (laughs) This is going to be so, it's going to be so long. All right, Scott, big question. Number three, all of these events, men's women's mixed doubles are a, nine game round robin with 10 teams in the field. So one of our favorite questions to ask at all these events, what is the magic number for losses? What, what do you think a team can safely afford in a 10 team field? I think three is the, the, the magic number and a four might get you something. What do you five and four? I I agree. I think if you look back, if you, if you want to go to 2018, five and four got something, I believe in both men's and women's and you you are likely to, especially with how good these fields are, I think five and four should get you, get you something, but yeah, three is the number. So six and three uh, and you should be safely in. And if you're seven and two, you're looking at one of the top two spots, but uh, uh, yeah, it, once you get to three, if you get, if you're one and three, you really got to uh, put the, the foot to the pedal. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be real, real tough to come back if you get down that much early. Yeah, and so schedule, I think, is going to play a bit of a role in this uh, sort of sequencing. Who do you get early? Who do you get late? Uh, you know, how much are teams going to need to learn the ice going into it? Is that going to be an equalizer early on, potentially? Or do you see something like what we saw in 2018 with the Garlic Girls, where they start hot and then just stay hot over the course mm-hmm. of the week, and they they never really lost until maybe the gold medal game. But it, is, is that a case? Are we going to see that again? of a team just get hot and roll through. Yeah, it could be. Could be. All right, Scott, to question number four, is it possible that one person will be able to pull off a double medal in Beijing? The thus far unaccomplished two medals in one Olympic games is somebody like a Bruce Mowat going to be able to pull this off? Yeah, I think somebody will, Sean. And I think you identified okay. the, the guy who can do it. If we talk about meddling, if we talk about yeah. gold medal, he's also the one that could do it. Okay. Uh, I think that would be most likely to do it. Okay. So the options are, if I have all this right, we got Amos Masaner for Italy playing in both. Oscar Erickson will be in both. Bruce Mowat, Jennifer Dodds will be in both. So the entire Great Britain team and uh, Chris Plies, uh, Vicky Persinger will both be playing. 
and or excuse me, uh, Vicky Persinger is not playing in the women's. So just Chris Plies mm-hmm. on the men's side for the United States, and Magnus is the f- yeah, he's the fifth. So that let's not count that. So we got then <laughs> tough Magnus. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, so we got here then uh, Bruce Mowat, Oscar Erickson, Chris Plies, Amos Masaner as the options. Yeah, because who is Oscar playing with for Sweden? Almeida Duval. That's right. That's right. Because uh, I would have thought uh, either Oscar, uh, he's got a chance, right? Uh, oh, yeah. To, to get that gold medal. But I, I would put Bruce Mowat as the favorite if I was, you know, creating betting favorites amongst those players that are playing in both. Bruce Mowat would be my guess. Okay. Be, be my top rated person. Yeah. And I said no women, but I also said Jennifer Dodds. So Jennifer Dodds is the, the one woman who is doing both. So uh, my apologies yeah. to Jennifer Dodds. Uh, I think it's going to be tough. I, I The issue is that these games are so spread out. There's so many buys. Uh, I believe it's 13 yeah. draws and you're playing nine games. So it's just there's so much, so much downtime that I do wonder if the mental toll of being in an event. So if you're Jennifer Dodds, for instance, if you win the gold medal, the women's competition starts the next day. Uh, Bruce mm-hmm. Mowat and the, the other men would get a day off before the men's competition start because the women's gold medal game is Saturday. And then the men's gold medal game is the Sunday, the, the right before the closing ceremony. So I do wonder just, can you be in the zone? Can you play, be playing at your highest level for that long? Uh, I don't know if mentally you can't physically, these people all could the mental mm-hmm. strain of that. I, I don't know if, if someone does it, that might be the most impressive thing we've seen in curling maybe ever to, to be a double gold medalist in one Olympics. And uh, especially for somebody like Mowat, who's skipping in the men's game, yeah. like you say, I think the physical toll would be tougher for Jen, but for Bruce to keep his head in the game and uh, be able to come through really 16 days of of action more than 16 sorry uh 20 18 days uh, 18 that'd be, days that'd be tough that that's that'd be really tough yeah yeah uh, absolutely so we'll see if that can happen scott question number five i think the wild card in this whole event is the chinese side we we don't know what to expect from all three of the teams who are going to be representing China. Scott, how do you think the host country is going to do at the 2022 Olympics? I think their best chance is in the women's field, uh, which sounds silly because there's uh, quite a strong uh, quartet, I would say, at the top of the women's field. But we've heard a lot about their young skip for a long time. Uh, They've been training basically to play this event. They'll have an advantage in you know not having to do the travel portion mm-hmm. uh you know all the tests to get in all the i won't say strange food but the you know you're not eating your usual diet yeah. like all these things that we've heard curlers talk about when they go overseas anywhere plus the conditions of being in the olympic bubble it is going to be more stressful than a normal event so mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's where the Chinese teams will have the advantage. That said, you're right. We haven't seen them play anybody uh, who's going to be there in two years, right? Because they skipped 
the Worlds last year and the qualifying event? No, Yuhan played in the Worlds. Uh, okay. it, she went to the bubble, so so she was there. Uh, so she's played, but you know, she passed Pacific Asia champion in 2019. But yes, China skipped the Pacific Asia curling championship this year. So they're right. not going to the That's world it. championship. They, they punted on that. So yeah, we haven't seen them in a high level competition in a while. Yeah. So that's uh, where, you know, you, you have some worry. Now they have, I believe Peo Lindholm is the, the head of the Chinese program now. And, uh, you know, if you're going to want anybody to coach your, your young program, uh, he's got to be near the top of the list, if not at the top. Mm-hmm. So that there's just a lot of unknowns, like you said, and maybe the mixed doubles team will give us a feel for how prepared they are. It's going to be hard watching, uh, you know, just watching on uh, online and not being there and able to talk to them uh, about all the prep they've done. So you're right. I think this is a big wild card. That said, because we haven't seen them play, I've, I've got to give the edge to those teams that, we have seen play, which is, you know, maybe a recency bias thing, but sure. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think I, that Yuhan is probably the best bet for a medal from China. Mixed doubles is kind of who knows because anything can happen in those games, but certainly the men have not had a tradition of success uh, at, at, at any sort of uh, international competition other than the Pacific Asia curling championship. So don't have high hopes for them, especially with how good the top of that field is on the men's side. Whereas the women's field, I think they're just going to all beat up on each other for a while there. And, you know, that's why I think, you know, five and four will get you something because they're also good. Uh, so it's going to be hard to run away from the, the field in, in terms of the wins and, and the losses. Uh, so I'm with you on, on that front. And the cultural thing I, I think is, is going to, or could matter. Right. And I can only lean on my experience where, little things that you just notice and you kind of, it took me about a week to kind of pick up on little things. Now, granted, I wasn't going there to compete in the Olympics. I was going there to do my job to, to teach uh, at the university there, but little things of now the, the Olympians won't be doing this, like how to cross the street, which was very different and uh, more nerve wracking than I thought it was going to be <laughs> like the just traffic patterns were a little different or even, you know, I, I had, my teaching assistants were assigned part of their assignment to us. The Western faculty was to help us get dinner and get lunch because the sort of little things that either we couldn't communicate because where we were, a lot of people didn't speak English in the, in the community. So they would help us with that. My TAs eventually taught me a couple phrases that I could go into a restaurant and buy things myself. But again, yeah, the food was a little different. So you just get used to that. Uh, and a certain, certainly, when you're an elite athlete and you're so used to having meal plans and, and regimens, like will, will that potentially throw you where in the COVID circumstance, you might not have the same amount of freedom to mm-hmm. create, recreate your situation at home at the Olympic games as you might be able or might have been able to do in 2018 or 2014 or 2010. It, it, it could potentially be a factor and, and it'll be interesting to see how those teams deal with that. Now, from a Canadian standpoint, Gushu, Jennifer Jones have played in China before. So mm-hmm. they they would have some familiarity with all that, uh, as of Rachel Homan and John Morris. So, uh, but for some of the other teams, just that's a little thing that has isn't necessarily an on-ice thing, obviously, but could impact on-ice performance. 
Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So got question number six. What style of play do we expect across the board? Uh, we, we talked about it going into the Canadian Olympic curling trials. That is the pressure ramps up. We tend to see a more conservative style of play from, from the teams. We didn't really see that so much at the Olympic curling trials. I was pleased that it was mm-hmm. much more aggressive than I expected it to be. But once we get to the Olympics, all these different contrasting styles, are we going to see a trend emerge in how teams are playing this? Well, I'm looking at the teams that are in this event. And uh, certainly on the women's side, I see a lot of teams that don't mind mixing it up. Yeah. Uh, it, now you could say Anna Hasselberg and uh, Sylvana Terenzoni, they tend to play like maybe a little more defensive, but when they go, they can go, mm-hmm. right? The U.S. team, I would suspect to maybe play a little more defensive, uh, although it seems like they've been more aggressive since uh, Tabitha took over as skip. Otherwise, I, I would expect this to be like, okay, let's let's go, let's mix it up. I I know for Jennifer Jones for sure isn't gonna, you know, sit back and wait for the game to come to her. She's gonna take it on from end one. So on the women's side, yeah, I do think we'll see some fun high scoring games uh, on the men's side, maybe a little less of that. Uh, it, it used to be that the women's game was the one that was more bo- boring, quote unquote, boring to watch because they, were, they would play peels uh, to, to bank time. Yeah. And now we see that a little more on the men's side, right? Or on the men's side, we see the upweight ability being able to get somebody out of an end. Oh, I don't like the way these rocks are set up. I'm going to throw a run back double peel and then okay now we're just exchanging stones back and forth so that's how i see it sean what is your read i I think on the women's side i think we're still going to see burning the first which is pretty common still uh, on the women's side more on the women's side than on the men's side i think we're going to see that Uh, and i I think what we're going to see on the men's side is the disparity of i don't want to say talent because that sounds disrespectful to some of the teams but Maybe the the perceived disparity in talents where, yeah, I think we have a, a pretty clear top three, top four teams. I, I think we might see those bottom six teams or those other six teams maybe try to play more conservative, try to keep it close, try to frustrate those teams as they're playing them. So they might not want to mix it up as much. So if they lose the draw to the button, don't have a hammer in the first end, we're seeing things come in, right? You're playing top mm-hmm. four and not wanting to mix it up, trying to essentially shorten the game to a six, five, even four end game if you can. Uh, I, I, that's what I wonder about. And I think we might see that on the men's side. Women's side, we have, a, I think, a little more balance in the field. I think you're right that they're going to mix it up. I, I do expect some burning events early in games, but I think overall we'll see a, a much more interesting game on the women's side and on the mixed double side, there's, there's really nothing you can do. You it's always crazy. It. It's always yeah. crazy. There's always going to be stuff in play there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's a good read. I mean the, the mixed doubles. Yeah. It's just going to be fun, fun and yeah. fast. And then my, my wonder is how is it going to feel going to the four person game after watching that? I remember in 2018, it was like, Oh, this is slower. Yeah. <laughs> Why is this taking so long? So yeah, 
it felt so we'll, much we'll fun. see how that uh see how that feels yeah. after the and also the week. mixed doubles is taking like six days yeah uh, the four-person event is uh not taking six <laughs> days uh all right scott question number seven and this is uh chris plies tweeted that he thinks this is the first time that the United States has a legitimate opportunity to medal in all three disciplines. Now, if they do that, he will have won two medals. So good job, Chris Blyes. Like, pump yourself mm-hmm. up, my man. Do you agree with Chris Blyes? Is this the best American contingent we've ever seen at the Olympics? And do you believe in the idea that they can medal in all three disciplines? It's it's probably the best uh, American contingent that we've seen. Schuster, of course, won gold last time, so he's got experience doing it. I think if he hadn't, Sean, I think if he hadn't had his uh, magical walk on the beach or <laughs> walk on the pier that he had, I, I don't think we would be saying that. You know, we haven't seen them come out and win a bunch of Grand Slams in the intervening four years. Uh, with Chris on their team, I, I do think they're stronger than with Tyler George four years ago. So I think I, I think they have a, a chance to medal. I wouldn't make them one of the top four favorites, though. So sure, uh, we'll we'll get into previewing the event at another time. But I, I think there's a clear three, and then they're in that next group right below it uh, on the okay. women's side. The women's field is deep, Sean. Like looking at it, there's some really good teams. I could see any one of five or maybe even six different teams winning this with the gold medal. And the the US team would be towards the bottom of that uh that yeah. grouping, uh, if in it at all. Uh and then on mixed doubles, I mean, who knows, right? Uh <laughs> that anybody can win. I, I would yeah. be surprised if like I would be surprised if the Czechs won, but maybe Australia, but anybody else like, right. yeah, yeah. Okay. I could see that. Yeah, no, I agree. I, I do. I think this is a, a very strong contingent. What's interesting though, is that there's not that much change in the four person teams from four years ago, right? It's just the, the switch. No. Nina Ross, not skipping anymore. Uh, you have Tabitha Peterson in, in the skips role. And it's Chris Plies in, in place of Tyler George. So it's not like a real sea change in terms of personnel on the four-person side for the Americans. But since that change, as you mentioned, to Tabitha Peterson, they have been so good uh, since mm-hmm. that that switch. Nina Ross, baby, MVP uh, of this team for like the necessity of of creating that, uh, that or giving Tabitha Peterson that opportunity almost. And yeah. on the men's side, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, Tyler George is a great player, certainly. Uh, but yeah, Chris Plies does feel like a stronger, more consistent player than Tyler and maybe, George. Maybe more with the sweeping than than uh, anything else. Uh, you know, Tyler yeah. is a great player and had a lot of experience calling line, a, a great thrower. But for some reason, I just feel like a, li- a little more comfortable yeah. with, uh, with Chris on the team. And he's shown that in the last four years. Maybe that's because you know his shoes are going to last for the whole game whenever he steps out there, which wasn't a guarantee uh, with yeah, Tyler that's, George. That's probably why. <laughs> uh, and then, I don't know, like the, on the mixed doubles, yeah, anything can happen. I don't know. Is is it fair to say that Flies and Persinger are, are definitively better than the Hamiltons? I don't know. Or are, are definitively more of a metal threat than the Hamiltons were four years ago? 
I don't know. I mean, the Hamiltons are very good at mixed doubles, and obviously they didn't win this time. But I think uh, I think Chris has just thrown some shade at uh, some shade at, at his Matt. teammate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we're be- we're better than you, bud. <laughs> yeah, so certainly anything can happen, and the women's side is going to be the toughest of those medals uh, if they're sure. going to sweep. I'd go deeper than you, Scott. I think seven, maybe even eight, could win uh, out of those ten teams. It's it's so good that women's field. Uh, but as you say, it, we'll, yeah, we'll, it's really good. We'll do the full a full preview of that uh, coming up in the the time before. That event kicks off. So let's move on to question number eight, which is somewhat related. Will there be an upset team to win a medal? And Scott, I'm going to define an upset team as a team from a country that is not participating in all three disciplines. So there are six countries that are represented in all three disciplines, that being Canada, China, Great Britain, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United States. So that leaves all those other countries, Italy, uh, Australia, the Czechs, et cetera, in, in the disciplines. Will one of those countries come away with a medal? I'll say yes. And okay. I'll tell you my top favorites for that, I would say would be uh, Elena Kovaleva's team on the women's, uh, yep. Yinjin Kim on the women's and sorry, there was one other I was thinking of on the women. I mean, I I think if you're looking at on on the men's side, probably Joel Ray Turnaz. Yes. That was probably the biggest threat there. uh, Yeah. Italy on the men's side. Yeah. I think I'm with you there. Yeah. I think I'm with you there. And I also wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't sleep either on Russia on the men's side either. And Sergei Glukov, they were so good in the bubble. So yeah, but they they were so bad in the uh, <laughs> bees, Euro bees. They, they really were. They were terrible there. Uh, so who knows what we're gonna get? Uh, no, I from, think they won. I them. think they won it. Right? Didn't didn't they win? In no, advance? they they ran through. I thought they lost the final. They still get to go up, but that it was that last game where they weren't good. Uh, but I believe they went through the round robin undefeated. Yeah. Um, so you know, bad, right? Well, I, they shouldn't have lost any in the B. They're they're too good to lose anything. Yes. Uh, so even to lose that final, yeah. So certainly the Russians would be the ones that could. Uh, I, I think are the biggest threats there. Yeah, the South Koreans on the women's side, on the mixed double side. Who knows? Again, we, we've said it before. Australia, the Czech Republics, uh, the Czech Republic, Norway, uh, Skazlin and uh, Magnus. Yeah, are, are very good players, and certainly the Italians on the mixed double side, where you got Constantini who just missed the Olympics on the women's side and Mosaner is playing, uh, who has gotten so much better this quad. So, uh, so maybe mm-hmm. I, I'm not going to bank on it. If I were to bet, I don't think I'd bet on any of them to medal. I, I'd go with those six to get all of the medals, but uh, it wouldn't necessarily be a surprise to see one of them walking out of the ice cube with a medal. For sure. For sure. So what's next, John? Question number nine, the penultimate question. Scott, does Canada have to win a medal this time? Yes. <laughs> okay. If, if Honestly, uh, if there's zero medals for Canada across those three disciplines, uh, I think we're going to see huge, huge changes to the qualification process, and we might even see uh, teams being put together for the next quad. Wow. 
by curling Canada. So you think it's like major changes if major changes, yeah. They don't win something. Yeah. Okay. I, I think the most likely change that's made, even if Canada wins something, is a change to when the trials are, uh, moving them uh, in response to what happened this year with the mixed doubles. If you like if you do have a situation where you have to cancel it. Uh, or postpone that there isn't enough time to to do that even if it's just earlier into the fall which is hard to put it in say october and try to have everybody peak for the event at that point but i i think we'll we'll see a shift in the calendar they did move it up this year even uh, just a, mm-hmm. a week but it, it was moved up so maybe we'll see a switch there i i do think that we'll probably see changing or changes in the coaching structure with how the national high performance program operates, we, we've seen snippets of this come out in the last couple of years of once you become team Canada, the almost intrusion of sorts of new coaches and, and people who come in as opposed to letting the team just do what has made them successful. And mm-hmm. maybe we'll see a, a recalibration of how that relationship goes. Uh, once you become team Canada, Having having curling Canada assigned teams though that's going to be tough. That's going to be tough to swallow for everyone. I think for the players, for the fans, that that would be tough. Yeah, sure. But if they're not getting the results that they want out of this, that's what the goal is, right? Is to win medals at the Olympics. That's part of the goal. That's curling I, I Canada's think... high. That's curling Canada's high performance goal. Yeah, that's not the organization's entire goal. No, but it's a big part of what they're what they're trying to do, right? Like, yeah, and you know, if if we see other associations that have taken that approach uh, of choosing a team, uh, like the Great Britain approach uh, for this this uh, this year, if we see that succeed, Sean, I I think Curling Canada can just say, hey, like uh, everybody else is doing it, guys. Uh, we haven't won medals. Uh, we won one medal in the last two Olympics. We got to change something. They will have to change something, yeah. Um, well, yeah. Like, how do you say no to that, right? How do, how do you, as a curling fan, say no, no, keep doing it the same way? I I don't think you can. I mean, no, other well, than I, the fact that you like giving everybody a chance, I like it too. Yeah. But if if the goal is to to come through with with medals, and you're not achieving that, then you know. Yeah, I think the, the question would be, though, that or for me at least, is does that hurt too much of the rest of the curling calendar? Like, are you sacrificing the other three years of the cycle for the Olympics? And this is really what the Olympics has done to the sport. And mm-hmm. I guess that's fair. I mean, people love the Olympics. And it's the pinnacle of sport and all that stuff. Just don't read anything about what the IOC does. And, and you can you know still feel really great about the Olympics in its totality. The, the athletes are great. Uh, the organization yeah. maybe not so much, but it, it's the Briar, the Scotties, World Championships, the those things that I mean, Briar and Scotties essentially pay for yes, everything those pay else. The bills. Yeah. So if you're going to assign to Team Canada, like what happens to those events? Uh, what happens to the financial structure of those events? What happens to the financial structure of the teams themselves? Like that, it it goes beyond just picking a team. The other ramifications of what that means would have to be addressed in their totality, I think. And are, are we prepared in this country to have a fundamental shift like that uh, for the sake of the Olympic Games? And I, Sean, I, I, I don't think, know. 
I think we're being naive to think that that hasn't already been written up. Oh, so you think like, the plans are there? That currently is plan- ready to take control. Oh, the plans are definitely at least been talked about. Like you have to prepare for all contingencies, right? You can't just be like, oh, now we lost. What's going to happen next, right? Because then you don't have the time to implement what you're trying to implement. Right. We got a year. Next year doesn't matter for Olympics. Well, but it's a, a year where you want to be testing some stuff and you want to yeah. be make, making sure all the athletes are consulted and on board. So like all that planning has to have already started. Yeah, I, I do wonder what the athletes would say, the, the Canadian athletes would say to the potential of teams being selected by Curling Canada. The players do have some power in that uh, and they could yeah. potentially say no uh, to that and just not participate. It yeah, would take it's... a Kevin Martin level of commitment to it. And, you know, for as much as we semi jokingly slag on Kevin Martin on the show on occasion, full credit to Kevin Martin and his commitment to what he was fighting for in the early odds. Like he, he, he made the sacrifice of not going to Briars, not being able to play in world championships. He did that. And he held hard to that. And, that was to the ultimate benefit of the players and do the players today. Will they, if they feel strongly about it, will they be able to do the same? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the players feel like they want to settle the issues on the ice, right? Let us play play against each other. But instead of having a competition that's open to any team across Canada, I could see curling Canada picking 20 men's players, 20 women's players and saying, We'll bring you to this camp. We'll sort you into five teams. The winner's going. It'd be interesting. It would certainly be interesting to uh, to see that. But uh, yeah, those are certainly questions to uh, so to just be asked uh, to just go and win. Uh, <laughs> just medal. go win, and then it'll win be three fine. gold medals, and then we don't have to talk about that. Uh, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So uh, all right. So final question, Scott. Uh, big question number ten here of our big pressing questions as we head into the Olympic Games. Will one country, one of those six countries that I identified, again, Canada, China, Great Britain, Sweden, Switzerland, and the United States of America, pull what we will now call a crisp prize and sweep the gold medals. No, no, I don't think they will, uh, that any of those countries will accomplish it. Probably the best chance is Great Britain or Canada. I, but. You know, it's very hard to do. We, we've we never seen it because we've only had one mixed doubles. But uh, even the double gold is pretty hard to do. So I, I'm going to say it's unlikely. Certainly it's unlikely. I don't know if it's impossible. I would not sleep on Sweden to finally get that done. Uh, with That's true. For as, for as much as I said early on, I mean, it'd be hard for Oscar Eriksson to pull that off being in both. But that I think is maybe more likely than a Bruce Mount one, just because again, the mental toll that it would take and Bruce Mount being the skip of that team, but it, it's going to mm-hmm. be so hard for any country to do that. These fields are so deep and players are so good across the board that for any country to pull off three gold medals would just be a, a remarkable feat. Do you think it's possible that a country will podium in all three? Yeah, I definitely think that's possible. Uh, and, and Sweden, Canada and, Great Britain, I'd say, are the most likely yeah. countries for that. Yeah, and if that happens, well, then the Olympics have been <laughs> boring. I, guess. I don't know. Uh, if, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Each each country gets three medals. 
we all want to see Eve from your head in uh, F- FU mode, right? Yeah, love it. Even FU, FU mode is, is the, the best. Uh, I, I, I don't know. Like it, it, In terms of personal stories too, Scott, is there anyone who we you want to see win a medal? Like, Do you want to see Nicodine finally get that gold medal after all those world championships? Do you want to see Eve get to the top of the podium? Do you want to see Brad Gushu or Jennifer Jones, sort of this late career shot? there do you want to see somebody like uh, joel ray turnaz get to the top of the podium stand there with a picture of russ howard in his hands uh <laughs> like what what would be the most fun for you uh, or are you rooting for any individuals necessarily to to get a podium finish yeah or a gold i think i i think eve Muirhead for sure for sure for sure uh, the gushu and jones story of you know this might be their last quad retire on top that's a good story seeing uh kim yun jun and the the south korean team come back from that silver medal and all the stuff they went through uh in this past four years that would be pretty cool Uh, that would be a good story i think uh for them other people that i i'm rooting for maybe uh for norway uh, torger nergard of course one in 2002, I think the gold medal. So 20 years later to come back with a, you know, whole different generation of Norwegian curling. Uh, that would be pretty cool. That's all. That's what I'm thinking of uh, for me. What about you? Fujisawa for me would be the other name I would throw out there. I, I love that team. They're so much fun to watch. And uh, the, uh, the them winning a gold medal for as much as they already are happy and, and smile and have so much fun out there. Like how much... Like, is it possible them to be happier and have more fun while they're playing? Like, is that, is that a thing that could happen? So that, that would be a lot of fun uh, to see that happen. So that'd be the other name I'd throw out. And I'm, I agree with you on, on those other ones uh, to see uh, if they can do it. And I think for Nicodine, just to, uh, there's, mm. th- it's not a lot, but there are, there are naysayers out there who are like, well, the only reason you have all these world championships is because you go all the time and you're not, he's not actually that good or, he is that good. He's, he's really, really yeah. good. And uh, to get that gold medal would just be a, a sort of a cherry on top. And I'm, you know, and once we get to the spring, if Anna Hasselberg chooses to play in the world championship, I'd be rooting for her for the same reason, just to cap off the career. Yeah. Cap off their careers at whatever, 28 or <laughs> how old, however old they are. Uh, pretty young still. Right. I think yeah. Nicodine is 30. He's the same age as you, Sean. 36. So how old you are? 36. 36. Yeah. Well, he's or he's turning 36 this year. No, turning 37 this year if we're the same age. Yeah. 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 How old right. am I? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, it's it's hard to keep track of. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this will be his what? Fourth Olympic appearance? Is he there in 2010? Will be 2010, 2014, 2018 and 2022. That's right. Yeah. So uh, same for Eve Muirhead for uh fourth olympics it's been a good run for these folks so mm-hmm. uh, for as much as yeah for as much as we think of gushu jennifer jones sort of these late career they've been around forever so have some of these quote-unquote younger players yeah uh, sneaky old or, or sneaky experienced at least uh, at for these sure events. yeah yeah uh, all right scott so that's it those are our 10 burning questions leading into the olympics uh, on a scale of one to ten what is your excitement level for the 18 days of action forthcoming from beijing as of right now, I'd say it's about a seven. 
Okay. I think it'll ramp up slowly. Okay. I got to get through this uh, Buffalo Bills divisional game <laughs> this weekend. Yeah. Once that's uh, passed, I'll be looking to the next Bills game, hopefully. And yeah. then my excitement will build up for the uh, the Olympics. It's it's almost just exciting to have something, Sean. You know, you mentioned that we, we're not doing anything. We're mostly just sitting at home, yeah. uh, waiting out this uh, this wave. So that will be pretty exciting to have live things to watch absolutely well yeah i agree i i think i'm looking forward to it i think by the end of it it might be like all right like yeah just play like just to play the games everybody uh that that i might get to that point with it but yeah i'm looking forward to it for sure and uh yeah being here uh in ontario i know this is somewhat specific to us uh and i guess our friends out pi now uh from what i saw yesterday Mm -hmm. but in this lockdown scenario one of the reasons i put together our a potential schedule for us on the show one of the reasons i'm as uh, as aggressive on the schedule as i am is it gives me something to do i'm just sitting around here mm-hmm. so uh so it will be fun to to have some live curling uh, on that front just a quick note uh, word is out of thunder bay that the scotties will be able to run as scheduled without fans in a bubble scenario uh, the great thunder bay times i believe it's called the times and i apologize if it's not uh, is reporting that they got approval from the provincial government. So that should be all systems go in Thunder Bay. And somewhat related to that, the Ontario curling folks announced that they're going to run a provincial championship for 2022 in April. And all of the teams that qualified for, and this is on the women's side, uh, that qualified for the women's provincial will be invited to go. They did this for all the disciplines, by the way, that okay. have been postponed. Uh, so mixed, mixed doubles, uh, everything under 18. Uh, they're running them in the spring. Everyone who qualified through regionals and other things for the other disciplines will be invited to go. So I don't know how many of the top teams are going to play in that provincial championship on the women's side. Mm-hmm. If there's spots available and you're a team that might not usually get to go, like I'd write Curling Ontario an email right now. And say, hey, if you need teams to fill out the field, because I'll tell you, Scott, those banners are on the wall forever and your name is on it. If you can get literally, it. literally, literally, yeah. those banners are banners are literally on the wall of, yep. of the curling club forever. Yeah, I think. Uh, well, that's great. That's great news. I hadn't heard that, Sean. And, you know, presumably these provincial championships won't advance you anywhere. Maybe it gets you an automatic bid for next year. But yeah. uh, it, it's still good to have the, the competition take place. Yeah, and that's what it does. In Ontario, uh, the provincial Scotties will get you a spot in the 2023 provincial Scotties guaranteed. But if it is a top team that wins with all the lineup changes, who knows whether that's going to be of value Mm -hmm. to them. But who cares? A provincial championship is a provincial championship. So uh, that will be fun uh, to see in April. So that's going to be it for us for this week. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening. If you have not yet, please do subscribe to the show wherever it is you get your podcast. Do the likes, rating, comments, all that good stuff. Helps us grow the show, keeps us growing here. And uh, do head on over to GameOfStonesPod.com. All of our past episodes are there, as well as the merch. So we click on the merch tab, take us right to the store. Everything that's there. Proceeds for the t-shirts are going to Food Banks Canada. Everything else to the Sandra Schmirler Foundation. We are, of course, matching those proceeds. And if there's anything you want to hear on the show, please do reach out. Game of Stones podcast at gmail.com. Or we are on social media at Game of Stones Pod. Or I believe it's Game of Stones Podcast on Facebook. Where apparently you can add your podcast 
there's a way to do this on Facebook. Uh, Ryan from Rocks Across the Pond reached out. I applied for it. We'll see what happens. So oh. if you don't, if you don't already, facebook.com slash Game of Stones podcast, uh, follow along and uh, get all the fun info there. We might go live once or twice during the Olympics or during this. Who knows? If, if the lockdown is extended and we have nothing to do, uh, <laughs> we'll hang yeah, out. Maybe. Come hang out. Uh, or even if we have stuff to do, maybe we'll still want to hang out. Who knows? Uh, but that's where all that takes place. And uh, on Twitter, Instagram, at Game of Stones Pod for some fun and frivolities. So, Scott, what are you looking forward to here as uh, the weekend is approaching? You mentioned the Bills. Anything else going on? Yeah, yeah, the Bills. Uh, I'm looking forward, Sean, to getting out on the Rideau Canal Skateway. Yeah. Uh, you posted a photo you were out on the first day. I was. And then it was minus a million degrees <laughs> the rest of the week. Yeah. Uh, I, I had to go buy new long underwear because I guess I threw mine out. I don't, I don't know where I put it. So uh, I'm all ready to go. And, and I think I'll try to get out maybe Friday evening or Saturday, get out on the skateway and have some fun in the hopefully sun. Ain't nothing like it when it's sunny out there. Uh, there really yeah. isn't. It's, uh, it's wonderful. Yeah, I went out opening day, did a loop of the whole thing. Hardest wind I've ever encountered uh, on the canal down at Dow's Lake going uh, one way. Uh, but coming back the other way, it was great. Uh, <laughs> once you are with the wind. and uh, But yeah, it is really fun. I actually went out Monday after I dug out that monument. Mm-hmm. I sort of looped back around and walked back up the Rideau Canal because uh, I knew at least part of it would be plowed. Uh, and there wouldn't be a yeah. lot of skaters out there because it's really hard to skate when there's a lot of snow on the ice uh, but even mm-hmm. even even last night i was out it's just fun to go down and walk uh along the canal so uh it's preferable to skate but even if i'm just going a couple blocks here and there i'll, I'll usually use it when it's open so uh, enjoy yourself scott you're not the, the the biggest skater in the world but you can hold nope. your own right oh yeah yeah i got i didn't have skates till last year i uh, bought some to go skating on the canal and it's pretty fun uh, you know i'm a quads were a little sore uh after that and the uh you know but yeah i can i can do it well enjoy yourself stay safe both from the weather and from the covid and from the cracks in the ice you don't want that blood to be yours whenever you see those puddles out there so uh, <laughs> uh and for everybody else uh be safe enjoy yourselves we'll be back with you again next week but until then keep those brooms on the ice and don't dump that intern Make the final...